Okay, begin when I get to one. Five, four, three, two, one. Zero, negative one, negative two, negative three. Man, I'm even worse at coming up with things to start off the show with in The Verges. This is 8-Bit, episode 92, Fuzzy Wuzzy, on Sunday, October 26, 1992. And now, it's Shia LaBeouf. This episode is hosted by Ian Buck and Ian Decker. So I hear that you had an interesting week, Ian. Well, I mean, interesting is one way of putting it, I suppose. The Minnesota interesting. Minnesota interesting, yes. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I broke things off with the gal who I'd been seeing for almost a year at this point, and it's it 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 is what it is. It felt like the right decision at the time. Still does. <laughs> um, That's, yeah. When hindsight uh, agrees with. You know the in the moment thought uh, that certainly does reinforce it. Yeah, I mean it was just it was more than anything it was because I just got to a point where I stopped feeling like I could really feel vulnerable mm-hmm. around her, and that that sometimes happens. I mean, not everyone is completely compatible with <laughs> everyone else. No. So that's very true. It, life happens. It's kind of just time for both of us to move on and find someone who can better get each of us what each of us needs. You sound like you're having a much better time with this than I think I've heard you had with any breakup before. Part of that's probably because I'm the one that did the breaking up this time. Right. And I mean, don't get me wrong, that was still probably the hardest thing that I've ever done, Mm -hmm. was breaking things off. Um, Because, one, not only did I... Or was I at a point where it felt like I was hurting her, which honestly she was hurt. Um, and it's hard to do that when I, especially, well, with anyone it's hard to do that, but especially when it's someone who I've cared about for that, or that much for that long. Um, and then I was, of course, wrestling with, uh, rationally, this makes sense, but emotionally, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, my my internal self was sort of in a bit of turmoil, and by sort of I mean completely in a bit of turmoil, um, as well. So it's that that was rough, but I'm I'm doing better, I'm feeling better, and I think life is gonna move on, and it's gonna be in a better way. And now we get to find out how good these dating site things really are. <laughs> I made one for shits and giggles, okay. That'll be a whole other adventure. <laughs> Actually, plan on using it for finding someone to date for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just like just like LinkedIn, you know, you have to create the profile now so that you can build up your presence over time. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm sorry. Oh man. Oh, God. <laughs> what am I gonna do with you? Uh, I don't know. I mean. I hope that you keep me around. <laughs> well, I'm planning on it, especially considering, you know, our, our possible housing situation for 
Yeah, and especially now that I'm, you know, not an awful person and I don't put you down for, uh, you know, things like what's going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Because that was, that was kind of what my week was, was this weird, like, maturing process of, like, one evening, I just, like, I decided to go back and look at some chat logs from, like, 2010. And over the course of the night, like, I started that at probably 9 p.m. or something, and I ended up staying up until 2 o'clock in the morning. It's like reading through chat logs and thinking about who I was at the time and hating myself for it because I was, I honestly, I fully realize now that I was kind of an awful person at the time. And, and going through this kind of crisis of like, am I still an awful person? Because when I was in high school, I didn't think of myself as an awful person. So how can I trust what I think of myself now? But then I talked to you and you assured me that I'm much, much better than I used to be. Yeah. Which is comforting. Yeah. And then the, the other weird, like, adult thing that happened to me this week was my mom called me and was like, so, Ian, Dad and I are thinking about going to India for a couple of years starting in 2016 and taking your sisters with us. Could you take care of the house while we're gone? And I was like, um, um, yes? Okay? <laughs> like, I, I can't fathom being given, you know, just like, these like two properties to like take care of and you know like manage and what 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 do I do? I'm an adult now. Wait, two properties? Well, yeah, because we still own the the house across the street that we used to live in. I suppose. And we're we're renting it out, so like I would have to you know make sure that that doesn't burn to the ground too. <laughs> this might be a little bit more <laughs> pressure than I had originally anticipated. Exactly, exactly, and. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't, gosh, I wouldn't live there by myself. I would definitely bring whoever, you know, like you and whoever else we happen to be rooming with at the time because it'd be awful just living in a house by myself. It's so empty. Yeah, and that's, it is a large house. Like, it is big enough for seven people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As long as we don't bring Shia LaBeouf, we should be safe. It's Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Running for your life from Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> That, that <laughs> it was so weird, but I love it. I'm going to just start whispering to people, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> it's so perfect. It's so perfect. Oh, man. So we got some uh, some pretty good listener feedback this week from Andrew Bailey, as we usual. Meta feedback, too. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty good because I, I entered in his feedback to the show notes and then wrote up some responses to it. And because he has access to the show notes, he wrote responses to my responses. <laughs> um, so mostly, actually, I think everything that he talked about was about the Mass Effect games because we, you know, in the classic section, reviewed Mass Effects 1 and 2 last week. Mm -hmm. uh, so what he had to say was all three of them were in the Unreal 3 engine um, because... Last week, I think I was confused and talked about the first one being in a different engine than the other two. Uh, and that's right. I, I I think I was thinking of the Witcher games, where the first one was in, I believe it was actually the Mass Effect engine, and then CD Projekt Red realized that they hated the Mass Effect engine a bunch, and so they like made their own engine for the for the Witcher 2. Um, apparently, yeah, the the DLCs for like Mass Effect 2 and 3 and everything, on Origin, they're there, and they're easy to download, but they're never on sale, <laughs> which is really, really unfortunate, even when the games themselves are on sale. 
And apparently that's uh, because they're only available using Bioware points. You know, so you don't buy them from Origin using just USD or whatever currency you happen to use. You know, you use them, use those dumb point things. Um, Andrew's favorite of the three is Mass Effect 1 because he thought that it has, you know, a welcoming, open, adventuring feel. And he also absolutely loved the Mako. I agree. The Mako was my favorite. <laughs> my favorite vehicle in the entire series. Um, he also sent, a, like, one of those preview videos from 2006, you know, a year before the game came out. Uh, and he was talking about how much he liked the galaxy map there. And I watched the video, and there's there's so many weird things going on in that video. Like, they were using the phrase next-gen in 2006 to describe, like, you know, the what the graphics looked like. <laughs> uh, they They also had... Like, some of the, the early voice acting that they had for that preview video was just awful in comparison to the really, really high-quality voice acting in the actual series. I'm so glad that they, that they didn't keep, you know, those, those lines, those, uh, um, you know, for, for, like, I think it was Ashley and Garrus were the two who were, who were in the preview, and they just sound completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, they also had a Geth Colossus in the preview that had, like, this weird chin gun that looked really silly, you know, so, like, it drops down from, from you know, like, a, a dropship and then unfolds itself, and there's this giant silly-looking chin gun un, under its nose. Like, <laughs> I couldn't take it seriously. Now, we appreciate getting listener feedback, but since most people seem to, mm, I don't know, have trouble with it or, you know, seem reluctant to give us feedback or whatever, we're going to have a little contest here. So, you listeners... uh you may notice that Ryan likes to put at the end of the show, you know, some of like the the best moments of the fringe, uh, in you know, at the end of the eight bit episode. And a lot of times he'll also stick some music in there. And if you can identify what that song is from, why Ryan put that song in there, and send us feedback, you know, saying what the song is, what you think it is. If you get it right, then you will get a prize. And I just decided that the prize is going to be uh, a game from my humble library that, you know, I have not redeemed the key for. Because I have several that, you know, I bought in humble bundles that I already owned on Steam or on Origin. And uh, so, yeah, send us feedback with, uh, with you know, what you think the song is. If you get it right, you get a, you get a game. There you go. And, and I'll, you know, for, the, for those of you who win, I'll tell you what games I have that, you know, are available. <laughs> Ooh, now now here's the question. How are you going to do this in a way that they'll be able to... Um... Oh, brain work. Oh, where we'll be able to see who answered first. I I mean, the, there'll be, you know, timestamps on when they sent it in, but I'm thinking anybody who gets it right can just win. Yeah. Because I have a lot of games <laughs> that I, you know, that I haven't redeemed. And, you know, since they can't see anybody else's responses... It's only fair that way, you know what I mean? Um, and you know what? We'll 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 announce each week who won the last week's as well, uh, and uh, it should be fun. Mm-hmm. So yes, give us feedback. And in addition to trying to answer what song it is, like give us give us feedback on you know the show proper as well. Like I don't know what what you think of what we're talking about. You know how how you think we're doing. I don't know. Um, if you think we should, you know, just shut up and go play games instead of making this podcast, I don't know. We're not going to stop making the podcast. That's silly. I mean, we do kind of need to shut up and play more games. That's <laughs> not during finals right week. Now. What? 
Not during my finals week. That's uh, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So we're about to talk about some headlines, gaming headlines, of course. And if you want to see where the links to these headlines and read the articles yourself, go to thenexus.tv/eb92. So let's say you are an indie game developer and you get your you know game published on Steam. One thing that you probably should not do is threaten to kill Gaben, even in sarcasm, because a guy named Mike Malbeck did that at, when when his game was supposed to be leaving Steam Early Access, you know, and and come out as a full release. But you know, when when the time came and he realized that the game was still marked as early access, he got really mad and started calling you know Steam and Valve incompetent and everything. And eventually, he mm-hmm. just got so fed up that he was like, "I'm gonna kill Gabe Newell!" Like, Rah! and yeah. they removed. They they removed his uh, game from Steam, and then it went further. Yeah, and then it went further. So then he, you know, tried to take it back and was like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. You know, I was just being sarcastic. I get really mad sometimes. You know, uh, but they, they, you know, they they wouldn't talk to him. They wouldn't put it back up. So now he's he's resigned from the company uh, because you know there's a little development team of like five or six people uh, who are all de- depending on this game doing well, and so he feels. Rightfully, he feels responsible for the game not being on Steam anymore, which is, you know, let's face it, the biggest storefront that they're going to get. And uh, so he's resigned the company so that Valve has no reason to harbor any ill will towards the rest of the team anymore. Uh, I haven't seen the game go back up on Steam, but, you know, he also did it so that hopefully any future games that the company makes, uh, you know, can get on Steam. Yeah. Hopefully. So, yes, when you're on Twitter, keep your temper. However, at the same time, that's also impressive that um, he was kind enough, I guess, maybe, best way to put it. He was kind of what? Kind enough, I guess, would be kind of the best way to put it. I'm not sure exactly. But he was... He got his head on straight eventually. He got his head on straight and did something for the sake of the other people as opposed to just him. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I think one of the one of the numbers that he said was yeah we sold like twelve copies outside of Steam so far, oh. which is like nothing. Yeah, oh. especially with how much it takes to make a game and how much work. Yeah, that's ooh man, that's less than like our average number of listeners on this show. Yeah. And how much money do we spend on this? Mm, mm. None. I mean, <laughs> but also how much money do we make from this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I demand a pay increase of 5,000%. Done. Cool. (laughs) All right, so last weekend, I think I talked about this a little bit, where there was a countdown to when The Witcher's opening cinematic was revealed. Oh, yeah. And it was was obviously revealed over this past week. And it looks really kind of cool. You look like you're chasing down... Some gal who uses magic of some sort, tracking her, and you. It, the the video shows you doing this like the day afterwards, um, like she had been in the, these areas the previous night and got caught up in some battles in a war and and kind of went through hell and back. So mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on yet, but I definitely need to finish playing my way up through that series. That's that's one of the games that's on my backlog. Yeah, I remember being really impressed with The Witcher 2's uh, opening cinematic as well when Declan was playing through it last year. Uh, that one was that one looked really really good. Yeah, and I think they they released this during the Golden Joystick Awards. Yes, 
I believe. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to watch them, but we'll be talking about the actual awards themselves a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So Lucas Pope, the maker of Papers Please, has released the first demo of Return to of the Obra Din, which is his next game, uh, and that's the one where you know this this um, sailing ship left you know a harbor and was lost at sea for six years, and then suddenly reappears and, you know, drifts into port. And now you, as I I believe you're like an insurance inspector, you have to go in there and explore the ship and find out, you know, what happened. Um, He's, you know, so this demo has pretty much, like, almost almost nothing in it. It's basically just, you know, a working, you can play, you you know, you you can walk around in the world a little bit. You know, there's no saving, there's no... Uh, there's no story content or anything. Um, I was going to play it before the show, and then I studied it instead, Might like a responsible idea. adult. I really like that art style, though. Holy cow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all black and white, and done. It it looks like Sin City. Hmm. Um, yeah. Isn't like the graphic novel, a black and white graphic novel, like much like Sin City or something like that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's like Sin City pixelized a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I like it. I'm gonna to have to keep an an eye on this game. I have no idea when it's when the final you know is going to come out, but there you go. I mean, it's yeah. I don't know. It'll be yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just keep an eye on it. That's all we're gonna say from now. That's that's all we can do. <laughs> I mean, we could throw money at them. Well, that's I mean, he's just keeping an eye on it. So I don't know. But I don't have extra money lying around to. I'll go track. Luke Pope down, Lucas Pope down, and uh, I'll just, you know, pelt him with euros and <sighs> rubles, because that's what I happen to have on cash right now. Pooklope? Yeah. <laughs> Pookislope? <laughs> that's one of the more interesting Spoonerism names that I've found. Pookislope. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Um, so, what, what what's happening this Friday? Friday, well... There's probably going to be some partying, probably mm-hmm. a bit more than usual. Why is that? Because mm, there's going to be children out and about looking for candy. I mean, that's always happening. Is it? I mean, there's almost children always, always want candy. I mean, I'm a kid at heart, and I always want candy, so therefore children must always want candy. So that's why the free candy van trade is so lucrative. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you're in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um, but it's Halloween this Friday. Okay. Um, and if you, like us, play Team Fortress 2 and enjoy playing Team Fortress 2, like us, but have not been playing as long as we have and have missed out on several of the Halloween events, fear not, good listeners. For Valve is releasing all five past year's events this year for you to go and explore and play and laugh your butt off at because, let's face it, Team Fortress True kind of tries to make things scary, but it's usually just funny. Actually, I think they just try and make it funny. Yeah, I think that, yeah. Because it's uh, Team Fortress 2. There's a few other games that are doing, you know, Halloween events as well. Mostly mostly online multiplayer games like uh, CSGO has got some, you know, Halloween masks. And I I think... I was playing a little bit of CSGO. I, I started playing it a little bit. Have you seen any of the chickens resurrect into zombie chickens yet? Yes. Yeah. It was great. And then I'm sure that League of Legends is doing something. Maybe maybe their maps are just changing, you know, to have the Halloween theme again. Maybe. That'd be cool. Currently, the only thing that I know of is they are <sighs> doing something in um, 
in their effort to try and rewrite all the backstories and get oh, yes. one coherent story, they're working on this place called, oh, shoot, I'm trying to remember it, but these aisles, the Shadow Isles, that's what it's called, and that's where, like, all of the creepy-ass characters came from. Okay. Like Carthus the Lich King or the Headless Joe Horseman Ross. or Fiddlesticks the Scarecrow. All of them come from the Shadow Isles, and they have an event that's going on called the Harrowing, or the Harrowing, where they have a game mode which is called Hexakill. So you have six players, but and they have done it Hexakill before, but this time they're doing it on the map that they usually excuse me, reserve for three people. Oh Lord. So it's it's a little interesting. It's one of those games where once one team kinda gets ahead in the beginning, then they just snowball the victory. I don't think I've seen a game yet where a team that got ahead Brand. in the beginning lost. Yeah. I mean, the the characters that are for or that are from the Shadow Isles are kind of perfect for this. I've played a character by the name of Carthus a lot. Who actually, I think I've only played Carthus on this game mode <laughs> so far. And Carthus is fun because when you die, you don't actually die for seven more seconds. Mm. And you haven't you. It's really effective because so in the threes map, it's really small area, right? Right. Carthus has a toggle ability that allows you to turn on essentially a field that does a bunch of AOE damage around them. So you can just put yourself in the middle of them all, um, have you have yourself die eventually. I mean, prevent it as long as you can, but have yourself die, and they'll sit there in that field and kind of melt. And then his ultimate does a fair amount of damage to every single enemy champion on the map. Hmm. So it... I don't know, just lots of AoE and lots of hitting all six enemies at once, as opposed to little by little. So speaking of online multiplayer games, Titanfall is actually getting a four-player co-op mode soon. Uh, That'll be coming in their uh, eighth content update. And they're also going to be getting um, a ranked play. And that's that's actually, I think, been in beta for most of October, but it should should be releasing, you know, fully soon, which is pretty cool. So I should buy Titanfall now and start playing it, is what you're saying? Um, maybe. I mean, you won't have me to play with. Oh. At least not until I get home. Yeah. <gasps> Next year. And by that time, Evolve will be out. Ah, yes. <laughs> then next year, when we have your house. Uh-huh. Or, well, no, that's not until 2016. Like, oh, we'll, have to, we'll have to find somewhere else to live, you know, to rent for like a year before that. Okay. If that happens. If the India idea comes to fruition. I hope it does. It sounds awesome. It would be a great experience for my parents and my sisters. Yes. And then I mean... And then we get free rent. Free rent. I like free rent. Mm. Let's just hope that if I get accepted into TFA that that is where... That you're (laughs) in the Twin Cities. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. I suppose it's next to me. Oh, yes. So what is your current gaming platform that you use? Well, Android. Yes. Do you know what game you should be able to expect to play before the end of the year on Android? Before the end of the year? Well, quite a few, but I you're probably talking about Hearthstone. Yes, I am talking about Hearthstone. Um, they have announced on their blog that it should be coming to Hearthstone. Or, <laughs> sorry, that Hearthstone should be coming to Android. Hearthstone is coming to Hearthstone. Yes, I am very good at things. <laughs> Hearthstone will be coming to Android. With it, or before the end of the year is what they're mm. hoping. So if you want, you can start playing 
and then I can friend you, and then we can start playing together. Well, I mean, I could start playing it on PC already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, I think actually that the it's coming to, you know, Android tablets by the end of the year, and then sometime next year they'll be making it available on phones. So that'll be both, you know, the iPhone and Android phones. So I don't think I will be able to play it on my Android device quite yet, uh, but eventually, eventually it'll happen. Soon. This just means that I need to get, you know, an NVIDIA Shield tablet. Yeah. So speaking of NVIDIA, they introduced, you know, a lot of new features with their 900 graphics cards, and some of those depend on hardware that are only found in the new Maxwell cards, but others are becoming available in older cards. For example, dynamic super resolution is now available on cards as far back as the 400 series. Uh, so DSR is the basically brute force anti-aliasing where the graphics card renders the game at, you know, a higher resolution than your monitor, so like, you know, 1440p or even up to 4K, you know, and then it just kind of downscales it to, you know, your probably 1080p monitor. And so basically that just, you know, that... that eliminates the need for the game to do any anti-aliasing uh, because all of the edges will be, you know, smoothed out just by virtue of it, the game using more pixels already. Oh, nice. So if you... And, and of course, because it is a brute force, you know, solution, uh, it works best on more powerful cards. And you have a fairly powerful card, so it should work pretty well for you, I think. You'd hope. Um, so yeah, that, that came in the most recent driver update, and I think those options should be showing up in the uh, GeForce Experience program, uh, you know, under the, the, you know, kind of preset slider thing somewhere. You should be able to find DSR options. Interesting. Okay. I might have to go and... Experiment with that a little bit? Yeah. Oh, I like experimenting with things. Oh my. That's the one of the hallmarks of a PC gamer? Mm-hmm. Because we like experimenting. Mm-hmm. All right, so actually our friendly studio ghost might also be interested in listening to this next one. And if our studio ghost is going to be interested in it, then that means it's probably about Guild Wars 2. And, oh, look at that, it's about Guild Wars 2. There was an announcement uh, a little bit earlier this week, actually a little bit over a week ago, on the 20th, so on Monday, about the... Er, some timelines of some of the events that are coming up for the very last bits of like events and the living story or living world season two um, and they are coming out so the season resumes on November 4th and so you'll see the story pick up from the cliffhanger that that was left off at I can't really tell you what the cliffhanger was because I actually didn't finish that still need to go in and oh. read a little bit more um, as well as there's a couple of holiday festivals um, let's see Coming out on October 21st is the Halloween thing, and then on December 16th, there will be their Christmas stuff. So, Ryan is about to say something. I just want to mention that, you know, you didn't play it all, so you can't say what the cliffhanger is. I played it on multiple characters, and I can't even tell you what the cliffhanger was. I don't know. <laughs> it literally happened before August. It happened in July. The game has been on hiatus since then, presumably to develop new content, but who knows, really. That's all I wanted to mention. We'll see the story pick up from the cliffhanger that left one of the world's leaders fighting for survival and the races of Tyria preparing for war against the Elder Dragon Mordramoth. You know, 
Ryan, if you can't remember a cliffhanger for that long, like, I don't know how you watch television shows as they're coming out. Oh, right, you don't. I don't watch TV. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So, if I were to tell you about a website called Gamersgate.com, what would you think it was? Well, I mean, considering everything that's been going on, yeah, that might not be the best of things. Yeah, so, turns out it's actually not associated with Gamergate at all. It is, you know, an online uh, digital distributor of PC and Mac games that has existed for like 10 years, you know, with absolutely no problems. And then suddenly this whole Gamergate thing happens, and the CEO is like, dude, we're getting a bunch of hate mail from people because our name is Gamersgate. So he put out like a press release saying, hey, we're not associated with Gamergate. We have an S in our name. (laughs) Whoopsies. Yeah. There's... There's no way that they could have foreseen that ten years ago, no. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, spread the good news. Gamers Nick Gate is not associated with Gamergate. They're not awful people. Or so we no, We don't actually know anything about them. Right, yeah. Other than they're not Gamergate, which puts them a step at least not as awful in my book. Right. All right. However, some bad news. Okay, there was an RTS that I talked about a while back called Human Resources, which was the apocalyptic one where it was the aliens, not the aliens, the the elder mm-hmm, creatures, the like ones. Thulu and whatnot, versus the robots that we had created. And this game was working its way towards a Kickstarter project, trying to get the whole thing revamped. And... Unfortunately, they weren't able to make their goal. They were able to raise, I believe, a little bit over 300,000. What was their goal again? It was 1.4 million? Okay. Sorry, 384,000 was what they had pledged of 1.4 million goal. Yeah, I don't think that they were going to make it. Yeah, that was that's a little bit of a lofty goal regardless. Well, that I mean, their their previous uh, Kickstarter made it just fine. That was, I believe that these guys were the ma- ones who made Planetary Annihilation, if I remember correctly. But the, they had a successful Kickstarter before that had a higher goal than that. Looking um, at Uber Entertainment. Yeah, Planetary Annihilation, um, Monday Night Combat, Super Monday Night Combat, and a couple of iOS games called Outland Games and Toy Rush. Yeah, so hopefully they still will be able to bring human resources to existence at some point in the future, but not with the current Kickstarter. Oh, well. Now, one game that is probably going to happen, actually, is Outlast 2. The uh, Red Barrels, the developers of you know the original Outlast, they actually announced this week that, yeah, they're, they're working on Outlast 2. It'll be set in the same universe as the original, but it will not be returning to the same asylum or feature the same characters. Pretty much that's all that they've said about it right now, you know, because, like, literally the... I, I think they... When did they release the last DLC for Outlast? I don't know, but they, they like, just got finished releasing the original game on all of the platform that, that it's on. So they're very, very, very early in development of Outlast 2. Ah, now, also, the lead programmer from uh, Gone Home, he spent five months after that game came out just, you know, backpacking and traveling the world. Pretty Sounds like a pretty awesome idea. And now he's back, and he's working on a game called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. 
it will focus on life on the road, specifically, you know, those who are out on the road not by choice but out of necessity. And it's drawing inspiration from a bunch of different, you know, American folk tales and American folk and blues music. So I'm definitely looking forward to this one. Want. It, it should be very interesting. And it seems to be, you know, he says that he's he wants to tell, like, real-life stories the same way that Gone Home did, unlike, you know, a lot of video games, which are heavily, heavily fictional. Yeah. Wait, Gone Home was a real-life story? No, it's, but I mean, you know, it's like, it's a story that could have happened. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? It's it's interesting, and I I really like thinking about this because that's sort of this is sort of what my first term class introduction to college class was all about was storytelling and how much of an impact people's stories in what they what happens to them in their life is what makes them mm-hmm. sort of like their whole memories your memories is what makes you and it's the most precious thing in the forest. Yes, I love that story. <laughs> that's a good story. So. Yeah, this will be cool. I want this game. Any and idea so when it's the, coming out? No, not really. Just just like uh, the other one, I think this one's very, very early in development. Any way we can help? <laughs> no, I mean, a lot of times with game development, it just has to happen, and, you know, we have to be patient and, you know, let them do their work. They're not always asking for money. I don't like being patient, though. Okay. Well, in the meantime, I mean... There are a lot of games that are out that, you know, we are enjoying, so we can talk about those as well. Oh, yeah. That's very true. Okay. Fine. (laughs) (sighs) So, uh, another game... Actually, another game that's, guess what, early in development. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's called... That's like the curse word of the week. (sighs) Buck, you're just early in development. (laughs) But I'm like 22. My frontal lobe is basically completely developed, right? We're early in development. Oh, oh fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is uh, an interesting game called Fractured Space. Uh, it was. I'm trying to remember who are the guys that originally, or what they've already worked on. But it was it was announced like literally earlier this week. So it's just in concept. Uh, let me read you what their description of the game is off the game website itself. Fractured Space is a team-based space combat game that puts you at the helm of a colossal capital ship. Each 5v5 match offers an intense cosmic skirmish, rife with deadly exchanges between craft, but underpinned by a grander strategy. Take advantage of your ship's unique abilities and weapons in order to exploit your enemy's weakness. Take control of the map and work together to execute and eviscerate your opponent. Combining the best elements of competitive PvP action with the fiction and politics of popular science fiction, Fractured Space is at the forefront of a new frontier for the genre. Space combat has reached a singularity. (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) That paragraph just got funnier and funnier as it went on. (laughs) So I'm I'm not sure if it's going to be like a MOBA with spaceships, and you get to customize your spaceship, or what? I don't know. When he said, like, when when they were talking about, you know, taking the helm of a colossal capital ship, and then they said 5v5, I was like, oh my gosh, are we all five of us going to be, like, crew members on this one ship, and we all have to... Oh, actually, probably not. I don't know. I mean, that'd be interesting, too. Oh my gosh, multiplayer, or, you know, multiple team Artemis. Do you remember what Artemis is? It's it's that uh, that game where 
each person has a different, oh, yeah. you know, computer terminal, and one person's like the navigator, one person's the weapons officer, one person's the captain, one person, you know, and and like everybody has to work together to make this ship actually work. That would absolutely and, suck if somebody rage quit. <laughs> well, so the idea is that you're all in a room together, ah, you know. Yes. Uh, and so I just I just suddenly had a brain blast, like multiple play, like mul- multiple team Artemis games. Be insane. That would be nuts. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd do it. And then, like, you could hail the other ship, and it would be like a video call. And we need to contact them. I'm sure they've thought of this. Mm-hmm. It would be awesome. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Imagine a GamesCon devoted specifically to that sort of game. <laughs> Just have, like, a, a multitude of ships out there controlled by all the different groups. Yeah. <laughs> we, so we'd have to do, like, smaller matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we were gonna make this game and actually market it, we'd probably want to do like smaller matches at like comic cons. Okay. Specifically, some sci-fi conventions. Yeah. And just get smaller matches out there and have people try it at these things, and then say, be- I mean, because of the nature of the game, it's kind of hard to do it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you need a, a critical mass of people. Yes. Then once we got the name out there as it being a thing and a cool thing, we could maybe start our own con. <laughs> just for that game. Just for that game. So, if you've ever been kind of wondering something about a particular game, you probably Googled it, right? Google. Yeah. So, like, for example, you know, if I want to know what the uh, release date of Pokemon uh, Ruby, uh, Omega Ruby, Alpha Ruby, Omega Sapphire, I don't remember. Um, see... If I but if I typed all those words in, Google would probably understand me and it would give me the answer. Uh, but up until now, you know, it would give me the answer in the form of like redirecting me to a Wikipedia article or something, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no more. Uh, Google's knowledge graph, which is those you know those things that pop up like on the right hand side when you make a search for like, for example, right now, you know, you could search for. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, and it would tell you, you know, a, a little blurb about him, tell you uh, what movies he's been in that, you know, that you'd probably know, and then, you know, some, like, related searches for other, uh, you know, actors or directors or whoever that he's commonly worked with, stuff and like that. glorious mustache. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, now video games are available in that knowledge graph. So if you uh, uh, Google... A like the title of a video game, it'll tell you, for example, you know, its release date and kind of a few meta score, uh, um, uh, you know, information about about how well it was received, who published it, who developed it, you know, stuff like that. Um, pretty useful. I'm I was actually surprised that they didn't have video games for for as long as they did because you know movies have been there for a really long time and uh. There, you know, companies have been there for a really long time. Like, I, there was no reason not to have video games. Hmm. And now there is no reason. Exactly. Because no <laughs> now they do. So one of the bigger events of the week was the Golden Joystick Awards. Mm. Uh, and this is this is one of my more favorite uh, game award shows because, well, it's not really focused on being like a huge show. It's and and it's the awards are completely determined by user votes. So let's just go down the list and uh, tell everybody, you know, who won which, uh, um, what are they called, categories. So the best original game of the year was Daisy. Oh, sorry. Best online game was Hearthstone. 
Best Storytelling, The Last of Us, Left Behind. Best Visual Design, Assassin's Creed 4. Best Audio, Assassin's Creed 4. Best Multiplayer, Battlefield 4. Best Indie Game, DayZ. Innovation of the Year, Oculus Rift, DK2. Best Gaming Moment, The Last of Us, Left Behind, The Kiss. Best Handheld Game, Pokemon X and Y. Best Mobile Game, Hearthstone. Most Wanted, The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt. Gaming Personality of the Year, PewDiePie. Studio of the Year, Ubisoft Montreal. Gaming Platform of the Year, Steam. Lifetime Achievement, Hideo Kojima. Game of the Year, Dark Souls 2. So, I was a little bit surprised that Battlefield 4 got Multiplayer of the Year because, you know, everybody's complaining about how terrible its launch was. (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds like they got their stuff together because uh, I guess people are enjoying it now. And I was looking up a little bit as to what um, Hideo Kojima. Yeah, he made the Metal Gear Solids, right? Yes. He yeah. was originally employed at Konami. Or not Konami. Um, yes, Konami. And yes, he started out with the original Metal Gear in 1987. And wow. has, has been, he was a director and a writer and a game designer for the very first two Metal Gear games. And then from then on, Metal Gear Solid to the most current one, he is a producer. Some of them he's been the director, writer, producer, and game designer, but for all of them since 1998 he has been the producer. Nice. And I think, let's see, the uh, Phantom Pain isn't out yet, right? Metal Gear Solid 5? I think that's not out yet. 2015. Okay. There's Metal Gear 5 Solid or Ground Zeroes, and that comes out, that came out earlier this year. Okay. But Metal Gear 5, The Phantom Pain comes out in first quarter of 2015. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed about this is, um, you know, because this is kind of, you know, determined by mass vote, it's clear that, you know, people kind of only, like, understandably, people only vote for, like, the games that they have played, right? Because, like, you can't really speak to the other games. So the games that have the most players tend to win multiple awards. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, we've got Daisy winning a couple of different ones, and, you know, The Last of Us won a couple of different ones, Assassin's Creed won a couple of different ones. Um, Interesting that Dark Souls 2, the game of the year overall, didn't win anything else. Yeah. That's an interesting little fact. Does that happen? Hmm? It doesn't happen very often, does it? No, yeah, no. Usually, yeah, usually when you're leading up to it, you can tell kind of by what else has been getting multiple other categories is going to be like the game of the year. Yeah. Now, part of part of that evening that I had of uh self-reflection was I w- I was reading a couple of articles related to Gamergate and one of them I found really 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 interesting. It was about what uh the author calls taste privilege, where uh so privilege in general is, you know, where you you kind of have the same situation as, you know, what is considered, like, the norm in, in whatever, you know, whatever group you're, you're considering. So, like, if we're considering society as a whole, you know, then, um, you know, you, you are in a privileged position if you can just kind of assume that everybody else comes from a similar situation as you. Um, and, you know, like, the, the hallmark of having privilege is not being aware that you have privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the, in the case of taste privilege, what he's talking about is 
if you kind of share the same tastes, the same opinions as most of the other people. So in in our case, you know, we're talking about like um, you know, what like if you like a lot of games that have gotten a lot of good reviews, you know, and you, you know, tend to dislike games that get a lot of, you know, negative reviews, then you, you know, kind of share the same opinion as most reviewers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so you so you you probably suffer from taste privilege, you know, where, like, anybody with a different opinion than yours, you just kind of, like, will shun naturally without even, like, thinking about it. Um, and that's definitely, definitely happened in in the video game world. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so, a, you know, a big, like, example of that, I would say, is, you know, people who consider themselves hardcore gamers just, like, outright scoffing at, you know, people who play, like, Candy Crush or Flappy Bird or, you know, uh, Bejeweled or whatever, you know, whatever casual games they they absolutely hate. Uh, and, you know, even though they, you know, they probably never played them. And they can't really speak to their, like, you know, quality. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I suppose I'm kind of guilty of that. Though, I've played both Bejeweled and Candy Crush, which I kind of downplay. And I've played other games that I... Are games similar to some one some of the ones that I scoff at, but yeah, that totally makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. I can I can tell you that uh, at least back in high school, I definitely definitely was a victim of taste privilege because one of the best quotes that I found from myself in 2010 was I brought up so I was talking to Savannah. I brought up The Sims for almost no reason, asked her if she'd ever played any of the Sims games, and when she said no, I was like, good, because they are a, uh, what, what, what were the words exactly? I said, um, like, they're, they're an affront to all things video game or something like that. And, I, and, like, I read that this week, and I was just like, how far up my butt was my head? Like, <laughs> What? Like, I've never even played any of the Sims games. How do I know if they're fun or not? Like, <laughs> one of the facts that you can tell about how much you've changed is the fact that you actually noticed that you changed. Yeah. <laughs> and like nowadays, uh, I watch Robaz playing. Like, one of my favorite series of his is an on- ongoing Sims 3 game that he has called uh, the Redneck Brothers, and like. You know, I can tell you that I probably wouldn't get into The Sims a whole lot myself because, you know, I'd like the same way that I wouldn't get into Minecraft. Like, there's just, like, there's no structure to it, so I wouldn't really care about what I did. Um, But that's not like, you know, that's not a detriment to the quality of the game, uh, you know, and that doesn't mean that other people can't enjoy it. Uh, So, like, you know, like... I can't just assume that a game is terrible because I've never played it before. That being said, like, if a bunch of people tell me that a game is terrible, I probably will trust their judgments and I won't play it. But, like, you know, I'll probably avoid telling other people what they should think about that game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Actually, now that I think about it, I, I, just thought, I just thought of one thing that you, that you do have taste privilege about. Music? Apple. Yeah. <laughs> because not necessarily. every single time over the last uh, the last while, like okay, so you know we grew up in a heavily heavily like Windows fanboy group, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything that we use has been Windows. We love Windows because that's where all the games are and everything. But I've noticed that whenever anything like you know, uh, I think last week we 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 were talking about 
the new iMac, and you were just like, Puh, iMac, <laughs> without even, like, knowing anything about it, <laughs> you know, or, like, ugh, iOS, like, <laughs> I have noticed that about you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, I just, I don't like the majority of Apple stuff, and I've, I've used it, it's not that I haven't grown up using it, I've grown up, because right. all of the schools that we have are almost exclusively... Oh, yeah, that's right. They were. They did have a lot of Macs. They're almost exclusively Mac-based products. School Macs are a really bad example. Don't use that as your example. <laughs> and, I mean, you have owned, I think, you know, one more I, uh, Apple product than I have in your life because you have an iPod. Yep. An aging one, but still have it. Yep. And, I mean, I like my iPod, mm-hmm. to be completely honest. So it's not... I know that they're not completely just bad. Yeah, and you know, I'm not, I'm not like you know, blaming you for it or anything. You know, it's just we have to be careful when we, when we talk about things that we honestly know nothing about. You know? Yeah. Now, something that I do know about actually is Badland because I've been playing that game over the last like ooh, two weeks, and it's, it's a really good game. So this is a mobile game. It's uh, at first glance you might want to call it a, uh, a an infinite flyer, but really. Uh, the only thing that it shares in common with infinite flyers is the control scheme. You know, so you you tap on the screen to fly higher, and you let go to let you know your little creature drop. But the similarities basically end there because with most like infinite flyers, if you touch like either the ceiling or the floor or anything, you know, you'll you'll die immediately. Um, but in in Badland, most of the you know like the ceiling and the floor and everything, those are safe to touch, no problem. It's just like Obstacles like uh, spinning saw blades or lasers, you know, or bombs that will kill you. And uh, um, so, you know, it's it's fairly obvious when things are going to kill you. And it's it's you know, the beginning of the game starts off pretty easy to avoid those things. Um, but obviously, as as the game progresses, it gets harder and harder. Now, the other way that uh, that Badland differs from most infinite flyers is a lot of infinite flyers are procedurally generated you know so they they literally are infinite they'll they'll just keep going until until you lose uh but with badland you know they are pre-made levels uh with um you know kind of like these all of the obstacles all of the puzzles and everything were made by the developers so it's it's much more a puzzle game that happens to share like the same control scheme with infinite flyers um, so there, I think there, there are 70 levels in total, uh, and they're divided into like three different days, and each each day is divided into several different um, like times of the day. So the the maps will start off in the morning, and then you know go to midday all the way to nighttime, and the the backgrounds will you know change according to that, and the backgrounds and the art style are what really, really, really sell this game. Because the atmosphere is amazing. So it's it's set in this... Like, I, I don't think... I've never, ever seen a world like this from this perspective before. Because it's kind of like... It's a jungle world with a bunch of kind of... Seems like old, ab- abandoned, advanced technology sitting around. And you're seeing this world 
not from like the perspective of you know some like space explorer who comes to the planet and and you know finds all this technology or whatever. No, you're you are one of the creatures that lives in the jungle and you're just trying to survive a day, like a normal day in your life. You're just flying around trying to you know not get killed. Um, and uh, so the the backgrounds are vibrant, bright, kind of like they they almost look hand painted. Uh, panoramas. Those are gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and then the, the foreground, you know, all the, your creature and all of the things that, you know, you can actually bump into that, that you actually interact with, those are all almost, almost completely black. Um, so they're, you know, they're like, you're seeing the silhouettes of these objects in front of this nice bright background. Mm-hmm. And you might think that the background would distract from the, from the action, but I did not find that to be the case. Actually, usually I, I kind of, didn't even notice what was going on in the background, except for like, uh, you know, there were a few times when I would find myself in, you know, just kind of like a lull where there were no obstacles to get around, and th- and at those points I could like look at the the background and take it in and see these weird things going on. Um, you know, like sometimes you would see other creatures that lived in this jungle, like uh, you know, some sort of bird thing or a rabbit-looking thing or whatever. Sometimes you would see some like egg-shaped, uh, you know, pods that were clearly alien uh, in design, you know, sitting around. Um, I see a bear. Yep. Oh yes, yes, that guy peeking out. Yep. Bear. Um, it's yeah. So I've I've never ever seen that kind of world from the perspective of just one of these little little guys before. And I, I kind of had a good time, like, coming up with these funny stories about, like, you know, because as, as you go through, you'll sometimes push different buttons to make machinery do different stuff so that you can get through. And, you know, I kind of imagined, like, how this little creature was ruining somebody's day by accidentally pushing buttons and stuff on its way through, <laughs> you know, and, like, messing up machinery and stuff. Um, and And just, you know... But this was all in my head. Like the 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 game doesn't tell you most of this stuff. Like there's there's absolutely never any words in the game. Like even even I think the game telling you how to play are there's never words. You know it's just pictographs. Like you know it, it has a picture of you touching the screen and then indicates that that will make the creature fly up. And if you let go, it'll make the creature you know fly down. And and then everything else is just taught by trial and error, right? Well, then um, you don't have to worry about selling it in other countries. That's true. That's true. Yes, that does make it a very internationally friendly game. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Yeah. So the the basic goal of the game is to just you know complete the level and and not die. And that's well. So you don't have to complete the entire level all at once, right? So there because there are checkpoints throughout. It usually. It doesn't indicate when you pass a checkpoint, but if you die, then you'll start at the last checkpoint that you passed, and usually those checkpoints are right before whatever obstacle you're about to try to go through, right? So they're they're very, very generous. Um, there's not a whole lot of penalty for dying. Uh, although, one of the goals of the game is to finish the level with as many clones as you can, because one of... One of the power-ups that you can get. By the way, there are power-ups throughout the game. I forgot to mention those. Um, so you know, so some of the power-ups will make you bigger. Some of them will make you smaller. Some of them make you bouncy or sticky or roll in a certain direction or whatever. And some of them will make clones of the little creature that you're controlling. And uh, uh, a lot of times, you know, the the goal is to finish a level with as many clones alive as possible. And it becomes quite challenging 
to do that because all of the clones are obeying the same command. They're all flying up or flying down at the exact same time. And so you get this like big mass of little fuzzy clones trying to maneuver in between like saw blades and stuff. <laughs> and you lose so many of them. It's so heartbreaking. <laughs> but their sacrifice was not in vain. <laughs> um uh, yeah, so, like, usually it's not difficult to, to simply finish a level, but then there are other missions on top of that that you can strive for. So that's how the game gets its longevity, you know. So over the over these two weeks, I have almost finished every single level, but I am a long way from finishing every single mission. Like, I'm, I don't think that I'll be able to do that. They're very, very challenging. So if you like a challenge, then you will enjoy the game for that reason. If you don't like a challenge you will probably enjoy at least like the first half of the game because the first half of the game is not too difficult but the you know the atmosphere is still there for you to soak in and enjoy um there's no soundtrack in the game it's all just ambient jungle noises and like you know all of the like obstacles to make their own distinct sound like saw blades you know and uh like lasers kind of um crackling and stuff like that um and i i, I didn't really miss the existence of a soundtrack until I went and looked in my humble library and was like, "Hey, can I download any music from this game?" Oh, no, there isn't any. Hmm, that's right. <laughs> um, oh yes, there's also a multiplayer mode. <laughs> it's it's a local multiplayer mode where uh, so you like if you're playing with two people, then the left half of the screen is for one person to tap on, and the, other, the right half of the screen is for the other person to tap on. If you know you have like four players, then it's divided up into four uh, parts oh, and. Man. Each of you will have one little fuzzy thing to, to control, and you try to make it through a level as far as you can. And you know you'll bump into each other, and uh, you know try to try to like mess each other up and stuff because it is competitive. The person who lasts the longest wins. <laughs> and uh, it's it's I mean I haven't had an opportunity to really play with anybody yet because it is purely local multiplayer, and it definitely would work best with a larger screen. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, I would play a maximum of two people on my 5-inch phone. That's that's the most that I can imagine playing. I can remember, or not I can remember, but it reminds me of the bad joke of, um, uh, oh, shoot, I don't remember what it was, but if you don't need to be able to run faster than a bear, you just need to be able to run faster than the person next to you. Yep, yep. Sort of and actually, so you know how Android TV is, you know, the one of the main things that they're talking about that it can do above and beyond the Chromecast is that you can play Android games on your television with this device. And this is the first game that I can really remember playing that would work really, really well on a television, you know, playing multi, multi, um, local multiplayer on a television, you know, just sitting on a couch with a bunch of people and uh, trying to weave in between saw blades and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can imagine that being a lot of fun. So, reasonable price, I would say, probably about $4. If, uh, you know, if, you, if you're really super into trying to get all of the achievements and finish all the missions and everything, it, this is going to soak up a bit of your time. Uh, if not, you know, you'll, you'll enjoy it for a couple of weeks and then you'll probably put it away and... Uh, it's you know, but it but it takes long enough to get through the levels. You know, it's not exactly Monument Valley that was you know a beautiful game as well, but the puzzles weren't really challenging. You know, this this one actually presents a bit of challenge. I enjoyed it, and I'm still enjoying it because I'm 
going to keep trying to finish more and more of the achievements. <laughs> and actually, because there are no words in the game, I don't know what to call the creature that you control. So I've just been calling it the creature this whole time. <laughs> Fuzzy. Cool. The fuzzball? I don't know. Fuzzy Wuzzy. <laughs> no, no, because Fuzzy Wuzzy would be the bear who's peeking out from behind the rock in the background. Yeah. So, I think that's all that we have really to talk about this week. Um, I don't know what games are releasing about now. Oh my gosh, actually, wait. It's almost November, so that means that Republic is coming out new soon. Oh, I'm going to get to play that. Oh! Mm-hmm. I'm excited. So this has been 8-Bit, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Ian Buck. I'm Ian Decker. Signing off. Got a plunk from something? Oh, okay. Uh, Ian Buck says for the listeners that once Blogger finishes publishing the blog post, he should be able to come back. Apparently, he can't publish a blog post and perform a audio call and video call at the same time. Hmm. That's a pretty bad sign. You got lots of work done while I was gone. God. Yeah, you know, your computer still sucks. It just stuttered you oh, yeah, so course. bad. You're walking in the woods. There's no one around and your phone is dead. Out of the corner of your eye, you spot him. Shia Who typed 1992? It was there when I got here. Was that me? It must have I'm been. an idiot. <laughs> So we're keeping that one. Yeah, we're keeping Hold that. On. No, we're keeping that. <laughs> now no one is going to get what's going on. <laughs>